Welcome to the Renaissance Podcast, and thank you for joining with us to worship and learn more about God. We are so excited to have you be a part of this week's service. For more podcasts and services from past weeks, or to join us online on Sunday mornings, check out the Church at Home page at rendicator.org. Now, enjoy the message. Good morning, everyone. How are you well? It's Family Sunday. A bunch of squirmy people in the room. I was in the back worshiping. This is a a real moment for me. I'll share it with you. Didn't plan on sharing this with you, but it seems appropriate. I'm in the back. I'm worshiping, and I see a a father bottle feeding his infant um, child. And I was just, and while we're singing songs to Jesus, and like all of that's happening, I'm like, this is such a profoundly beautiful moment to see everyone here. Um, So let's just put it all on the table. It's going to be a little more squirmy in here than usual, right? It's okay. Kids are in the room. Kids don't bother us unless they bother us. Is that right? So that's fine. And and there's probably going to be um, someone filling their pants with a little poopy in here. And some of those, some of those might be the babies in the room. (laughs) Where's Joe Oval at? Joe knows what I'm talking about. So, well, anyways, Um, I have a lot to get through and I just want to move through it as, as best I can. I believe firmly, and I say this without any emotionalism, I believe God has a word for us today. Um, And I'll get to that in my message. And I'm not trying to convince you of it. And I I do not need to persuade you of it. I believe 100% that an invitation from God is being given to this church this morning to know him better, to respond to him in a more faith-filled way. And um, I hope that comes through in my message this morning. In 2021, a uh, professor named David DeSteno. David DeSteno is a professor at a university. I don't remember which one, but he's a social scientist. He's a research scientist. He's a psychologist. And he published a book in 2021 called How God Works, The Science Behind the Benefits of Religion. And in this book, he comes at it with this this premise. We know that sometimes scientists, uh, particularly those that work in the field of medicine, will look to find um, remedies for the sicknesses that that the body faces, that humans face. Um, And they'll do that in the lab, but sometimes they'll go into other parts of the world and they'll, they'll reach into maybe um, remote regions of the jungle or the desert, and they get with these sort of indigenous people, and they'll ask them questions like, what do you guys use, since you don't have a, a CVS down the street, <laughs> what do you use for a headache? Or do you do something for a wound on your leg? When you come back from hunting and you have a, a wound on your leg, what do you do for stomach aches or headaches or whatever? And, and they'll say, well, we make this tea from this leaf or we eat this mushroom, don't recommend that. They, they do all of these things and the scientists will take some of those components back to the lab and they'll break them down and they'll try to use them to see if they actually produce the effect that these people say they have. Many of them are just placebos. They do not work, but some of them do. In fact, we have some cancer medicines that were found this way. David DeSteno calls this, calls this bioprospecting. And they go out and they prospect in the world for some, something that the biology could teach us. In this book, he had the idea, can we look to the benefits that religion gives the people, the people groups all across the world and see if we can quantify that? And so he went on a, a, task, that he, a task that he called religio prospecting. 
And so he went into the people, the peoples of faith, Muslims, Christians, Jews, um, there's others, they escape me, uh, Buddhists maybe, uh, uh, others. And, he, and he, he questioned them and he researched them and came to the conclusion that there are benefits to the human experience that we have if you're a person of faith. And, and make no distinction, um, he wasn't drawing the distinction between Christian, Jewish, or whatever. We'll get to that in, hopefully in a moment. But just know this, that people of faith uh, seem to have a benefit to their life. Um, the Pew Research Group, the Harvard Center for Human Flourishing, the Mayo Clinic, each individually have all done experiments and research into this and have found that the people of faith, there's a positive correlation between people of faith and the ability to live a longer, healthier, happier life. Now that sounds like the abundant life that Jesus is talking about in the New Testament, right? And so all of the empirical evidence and data seems to support that there is some benefit to us of uh, people of faith. But David DeSteno makes this distinction, and this is where we start today. It is not enough to just have faith in God. It requires something else. And this is what David DeSteno says. He says, the benefits come to those who regularly engage in the, in the spiritual practices of your faith. It's not, you do not reap those benefits, and all the studies prove this, unless you actually engage in the, the religious practices, the spiritual practices of your faith. And what are those spiritual practices? Things like prayer, meditation. We're doing a series on worship. This is one of those things. Um, before the service starts most every Sunday, I usually come in the room while the band is going through rehearsal and I will walk up and down these chairs and I pray. I feel like I'm one of those old monks in a prayer walk, labyrinth. You know what I'm talking about? How about how many people do daily devotional Bible reading? You get up early, you read your Bible a little bit. This, this is the spiritual practices that we're talking about. If anybody know what the Lectio Divina is, we'll get to that maybe in a little bit. All right, a few people. So we'll talk about that. But these are the spiritual practices. And Destino's work is showing us that if you lean into these things, if you, if you actively engage in them, then you can reap the benefits of um, our faith. So I used to hear this phrase um, when we came back from the pan pandemic in 2020 after church was shut down, we were under lockdown for a while. I heard this phrase from so many people and tell me if this resonates with you. It's the phrase where people would say, it's just not the same, Jeff. Like when I'm, when I'm watching church at, online or church at home, when I'm worshiping on my tablet or my television screen or whatever, it's just not the same. And so when people started coming back to church, they would tell me that. And I wondered why they were saying that. Why are they saying it's not the same? Now, I, for a moment, I'm thinking they're just being kind to me because I'm a pastor of a church. This is kind of my J-O-B, right? There's other thing, yeah, we missed you. We really like to be back at church, whatever. And maybe that's what it was, but I don't know. I think there was something absent that was missing, right? And then the question is, what is the thing that's missing? What were we not getting from our tablets and our television screens? What was it? See, sometimes I would think it was the, um, the audio quality. How many people know that it's not the same to you worship with the band when it's loud in the room versus watching on your television? It doesn't sound the same. Know this, we put, we put a bunch of resources into trying to make it sound as best as we could at home. But it's, it, maybe that was it. How about this? How many people have distractions at home when they're watching church, right? You're trying to worship or whatever and the dog barks to go out, right? Or the dryer buzzes, got to fold laundry now. You push pause on it. Maybe it's some of those things, but I think it's something else altogether. 
I think there's something that happens when we worship together in person. That when we come together in person, that doesn't happen via the digital worship experience. And this is not at all to say that those things are bad. I'm, I'm so thankful to the Lord that we have that opportunity. I'm just saying there's something we miss. But the question is, what is that miss? David Taylor is a Christian. He's a psychiatrist. He's also a social science, uh, science researcher as well. And he wrote an article in Christianity Today, I think in the September of 2021. Um, I don't remember the date. It doesn't matter. But he's, he writes this. He says, one of the curious results of the COVID-19 lockdown back in 2020 was that we got to experiment with what uh, David Taylor calls soul-only worship. Soul-only worship. And he says, this approach, it prioritizes the invisible activities of the heart and of the mind, maybe the spirit, against the visible activities of our bodies. See, according to this mindset, the real, quote-unquote, action of worship takes place in our immaterial spirits, not in our earthy frames. But he thinks, David Taylor thinks, that this ideology is wrong, and I do too. I don't know that that's where the real worship takes place. I believe we are people created by God, our creator, who have a body and should embody that worship when we worship. We should engage our hearts and our minds, the immaterial spirit side of us, for sure. But an invitation has been given to us to also worship God with our bodies. So with that said, let's pray together. Lord, thank you for our time. God, I ask, Holy Spirit, that you would open our eyes to see this truth. It's from you, God, and if it's true, we want to hear it and know it. So we are so thankful that you have come to be with us. Um, God, help us to hear the invitation to know you more and to experience you uh, more by uh, responding to your invitation. So Lord, open our eyes and ears to see and to hear all the things that you have for us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So last week we started this series, Spiritual, Spiritual Practices on Worship, and TJ did a great job. If you are here last week, give him a hand. Yeah. Well done, TJ. I, I think it's one of the, the most profound and probably best messages I've ever heard come from this platform. And that says a lot, because I preach here a lot. <laughs> he did a great job. I was so thankful for him. But he was reading out of Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. And I want to um, go back to those verses, too, sort of as an anchor point for my message this morning. So look at Romans chapter 12, verse 1. This is the Apostle Paul writing to brothers and sisters in Christ. They're Christians. They're in Rome. He's not met them yet, but he's heard of their conversion. He's heard of the church that's been established in Rome. He longs to see them, and so he writes this letter to them by way of encouragement. And he writes in verse 1, he says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, to be holy and acceptable to God, which is your what? Your spiritual worship. This idea of a living sacrifice, TJ um, sort of did a drive-by on it last week, but I thought we'd pause and, can, and talk a little bit more about it. What does that mean to be a living sacrifice? In the Old Testament, in the New Testament too, but in the Old Testament in particular, the, the people of God were commanded to sacrifice animals um, for the atonement of their sin, 
right? The Bible tells us there's no remission of sin. So a person couldn't have a right standing with God if they were sinful unless they had a sacrifice on their behalf. And so they would bring a dove or a goat or a bull and they would sacrifice that. And this dead offering was given to God as an atonement. And so this dead animal is given to them, but that's not the only thing that they sacrificed and made offerings for in the Old Testament. Many of you will know this, that not only were there sacrifices for atonement, for, for, for your sin, but there's also sacrifices for praise. There are sacrifices for thankfulness and gratitude. Many times people would bring a sacrifice to God in praise and gratitude towards him. Now think for a moment, Jesus Christ for sure 100% covers the atonement sacrifice, amen? Amen. There's nothing we can add to or take away from the work that Jesus Christ has done on the cross. Say amen. I'll move on. Yes, that's what he's done. But he hasn't fulfilled the gratitude and the thankfulness. That's still up to us. We get to choose. This is what Paul is driving home. He says, you get to choose to offer yourself a living sacrifice, praise, adoration, gratitude, thankfulness, all back to him and for everything he has done, as we sang earlier, that he is good all the time. Yes? I don't know what's happening over here, but these people are at least semi-awake. Okay, can you work on that for me? Just a little bit. Kyle, you got to lead the way. Okay. Yes, this is what's happening. We're, we're giving a living sacrifice. This is what R.C. Sproul had to say, and I think this is profound. He says, it is not a sacrifice that we give in order to make atonement, but it is a sacrifice that we give because an atonement has been made for us. When we engage in bodily worship, when we stand and clap and bow and sing and move, right? That's what we're giving to him, thanking him for what he's done. We're not asking him to save us again. He's done that. Oswald Chambers, many of you like his book, uh, books rather. He had this to say. The idea that you, can, that you can dedicate our gifts back to God. Sorry, we have an idea that we can dedicate our gifts to God. However, Chambers would say, you cannot dedicate what is not yours. Think about that. Gifts that you have, talents given to you by God, is not really an offering when we just give it back to him. He goes on to say, this is, this is the truth. There is actually only one thing that you can dedicate to, to God, and that is the right to yourself. That is what God desires. This is what Paul is asking of the church in Rome. And ladies and gentlemen of the jury, <laughs> this is what I believe God is inviting Renaissance, our church, into. That you have an invitation to give yourself fully and wholly to the Lord. And you can do so through embodied worship. Paul goes on to say, that you offer yourselves, you present your bodies as a living sacrifice. What does he mean by presenting our bodies as a sacrifice? The Greek word translated as bodies is the Greek word soma, and it speaks to the physical part of our body. It's not talking about our mind and our heart, the seat of our emotions. It's not talking about any of that. Paul is addressing the physical presence, the flesh that you have, not the sinful part, but the flesh that we have. God, he is inviting us to give our bodies, to present our bodies to God as a sacrifice. This is what embodied worship is. And there are plenty of examples of this in the Bible. 
We can look to the Old Testament, the book of Psalms. It's kind of considered to be like the, the worship manual of God's people in the Old Testament. Look at some of the things that the body is invited into, commended into in the book of Psalms. They're invited to bow down, waiting for the slide. There it is. Bow down. This is what bodies do. They stand. They raise our hands. They clap our hands. Did you see TJ and the rest of the team in encouraging you to clap your hands during worship? <laughs> Were you in the room for the worship? Maybe we need to do this like in steps. Step one, come in the room. Step two, pay attention. No, that's, that, listen, there, there, this isn't, I need you to hear my heart. I'm not in a room with them going, dude, get them to clap their hands so their blood start beating and they get a little more lively because then when I come out and preach, they'll be a little more active. I could give a rip. I'll, I'll preach in an empty room. I've done it. I've done it. I don't care. It's an invitation for you to engage with God. And some of you just don't understand why we clap. Some of you don't know why you stand when we worship. Have you ever thought about that? Why do you stand? When TJ says, would you please stand for a word? Why do you stand? It's, it's in the Bible. It's, it, there's some biblical principles there. The real question is, why don't you stand while I preach? That's the real question. <laughs> right? You know, we give honor when we worship. We're praising the Lord. We're standing. Yeah, but when I preach, you all sit down and get on your phones. I see you. <laughs> I see you. But we clap our hands. We, we, some of us dance. Like that's the thing I've, <laughs> all right, we're off notes at this point. Um, I've been in church meetings where people have taken off and done this little Holy Ghost train through the whole church. And I thought it was the strangest and weirdest thing I've ever seen in my life. Until I, I read the stories of Miriam, the, the, the sister of Moses, who danced before the Lord when God parted the sea and allowed his people to escape. I remember the story of King David in 2 Samuel as the Ark of the Covenant, God's presence making its way into Jerusalem. It's been gone for so long and he's coming in and the king of Israel uh, um, undignifies himself and strips down to his undergarments and dances in the streets so much that his own wife ch uh, chastens him for dancing like a fool. And he says, I will become even more undignified for the Lord. I think maybe therein lies some of the rub that there is this dignity, this pride, this, this holding it all together that somehow I'm a, I'm a business owner I can't clap my hands in worship. I can't stand up and raise my hands. I, 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 you know, people look at me, people know me. I don't know what the hangup is for some of you in the room. But you have an invitation to enjoin God in worship, embodied worship. Listen, I came to church late in life. I was in my mid to late 20s. And when I went to church, I thought all you people were crazy for raising your hands. It made no sense to me. I didn't, I didn't know why. We, we don't, I don't go to the St. Louis Cardinals game and go, woo, raise my, well, I kind of do, but you know what I'm talking about. Like in church, I don't know why they were doing that. And then one day, and this is a real story. One day I had a thought. Um, you know when um, people sometimes surrender, like when cops maybe come to arrest somebody. I don't know why I'm holding a gun. I guess that's what cops do. And uh, <laughs> apologies. <laughs> um, 
But people will raise their hand, hands and surrender, or when maybe enemy troops are coming across and they raise their hands with white flags, they're surrendering. And as people are lifting their hands in worship one Sunday morning, it, it clicked for me. S these people are surrendering their lives to the Lord. And there's another aspect. And since we have children in the room, I remember as a young boy wanting to be picked up by my mom or my dad. And the first thing I would do is I'd go lift my hands. You can see it all around you. And just, there's biblical precedent for sure for raising our hands, but there's something inside of us that disconnects. And you feel, some of you feel, that you don't have to do so. That you don't, it's not for you. It's for the other people. It's for the more emotional people. And I want to dismiss that for you. I want to try to dismiss that for you. I want you to see that this is a real part of worship. Just as much as singing, just as much as meditating and prayer. It's clapping and all the things. Are we okay? Can I move on? Are you, are you still like me? Are we good? I think you guys are swell. I really like you, some of you, a few of you. Uh, Kyle, help me out over here. I don't hear. Okay. So go back to um, chapter 12, verse 1. I want to read it again. It says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God. And this is why we do this. Out of the mercy of God, what he's done for us in Jesus, we present our bodies as living sacrifices. It's holy and acceptable to God, which is our spiritual worship. Next verse. And he says, and do not be conformed to this world or to this age, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. We can pause here. I'm not going to do the rest of that sentence. Paul is making some connection between embodied worship and renewal of the mind. And he says that there's another, another um, ideology that's out there. He calls it the age or the world. That, they, that the world also wants you to worship and to think and to believe in certain things. But Christ is, is wanting us to believe and think differently. And for those things to happen, our minds must be renewed. Amen? But how does this happen? This happens, and, and Paul's making the connection to embodied worship. And this is where I just freaking go nuts because when I ran across what I'm about to tell you next, a few months ago, it, my mind was blown. So I'm gonna try not to oversell it, but this is incredible. Paul states that this type of worship that, embody, that we embody, it, it, it uh, renews our minds. And the scientist, scientific sorry, evidence is proving this. I'm going to use some fancy words here. The, the scientific words are entrainment and interactional synchrony. You don't have to remember this. This is no quiz. Entrainment and interactional synchrony. Um, in these books that I've been reading, David Taylor and David DeSteno, uh, they talk about this. David DeSteno is a psychologist and he, he does research. And so he brings people into his research, research room and he does uh, experiments on them. They, they sign up for it, so it's, they probably get paid to do it too. But So anyways, he, for one experiment, he did this. He brought a bunch of people into a room, sat them around a table, there's 15 or 20 of them or so, and he puts headphones on all of them. And he plays a tone in the headphone. And every time the tone beeps, they're supposed to clap their hand down on the table. Bink, bink. Every time they hear a tone, beep, they smack the table. Get this? Right. And then they just randomly had the tones go around and people are just randomly smacking the table. And they do this for five or six minutes. It's kind of, it seems kind of strange, but when they're done, they take the headphones off and then they ask them questions. And ask them questions like this. What do you think about the person sitting across from you that was wearing the red shirt? 
They seem nice. Do you like them? And they'd, they'd answer, look, I don't really know them, but they seem okay, whatever, whatever. No big deal. And they just ask some questions about the people in the room. They do the exact same experiment with a different group of people, put headphones on them, but instead of random beeps in the headphones, they sync all the beats together. So now everyone in the room, all 20 of them, are clapping their hands down onto the table at the exact same time. This is entrainment and synchrony here. And when this is happening, they, they do this for about five or six minutes. They take the headphones off and then they ask them, what do you think about the person sitting across from you in the red shirt? And they found, empirical evidence supports this, that they were moved more with connection to the people in the room and they had more empathy towards others. When they asked questions about them, they, they felt closer to them than the previous study. Is this making sense? So all I'm trying to say is that God in his magnificent brilliance has wired us in such a way that when we gather together as a people and when we embody worship and when they go two and four, white people, listen, two and four is where we clap down. Two, four. White people struggle with this and I'm white and I understand it. I one time stopped a worship song in the middle to get the white people to clap at the right time. I'm just saying. So when we clap together on two and four, something's happening to us. I don't know. It's just how God's wired us. And all of a sudden, we feel connected. A community, a closeness begins to exist. And I wonder if this isn't what people were saying when they said, it just doesn't feel the same when I do it at home. I don't know. Now, I shared this um, with TJ. I ran across this study over three months ago, which I need you to hear this. I'm not trying to be emotional about this. This is why I'm 100% convinced that God is, has this for us because I am not a person who believes in coincidences. That God showed this to me months and months ago. And as I was prepping for this message, God brings it back to my memory. And, and this is what I want to share with you, that there's a connection that happens when we worship together in body. I shared this with TJ, and TJ's very skeptical about everything, if you don't know TJ. You're like, you could look him in the eye, tell him the truth, and he goes, I don't believe you. And I love that about him. He really wants to know it before he believes it. And he says, Jeff, this, this spooks me out because this is what cults do. Right? Cults get together and they manipulate people's minds and do all this, right? Are you there, right? And you're like, yeah, this is kind of weird. Why do we clap? And why is the lights blinking and pulsing and all this strange stuff, right? We're, we are 100% not trying to manipulate people. I know that people do use this to manipulate people, right? We're not doing that. Um, the the neo-atheist uh, Richard Dawkins said this, something like this. He says, if you want to help a lot of people use science, to do so. And then he followed up with, if you want to hurt a lot of people, use science. You could create incredible bombs to destroy people with science, and you could create great medicine with science as well. You understand science is neutral. It's not good or bad. It's the motivation of the person behind it. And, and hear me, we're not trying to manipulate you we're not at all. But when we clap together, when we sing together, when we stand together, we are enjoining together with one another embodied worship. And God in his infinite wisdom has created something in our brains. They're called mirror neurons, right? And when we see other people raise their hands, we raise our hands too. And a connection is made between us. It is mystical and magical or whatever. It sounds like the wrong word, but it's just supernatural and beautiful how God does this. A, a mirror neurons is when like a, a mother will hold her child and smile at the baby and the baby just instinctively smiles back. 
I'm so thankful that it's Family Sunday because as we stand and we raise our hands in worship, the children see us and they raise their hands in worship. That, that God is building something in his body here through the act of embodied worship. Are we good? And I believe this 100% with everything that is inside of me. Go to uh, Mark chapter 12, verses 30 and 31. This is a story of Jesus, and I'm kind of winding down, so I won't keep you much longer. Jesus has been confronted by some of the um, religious leaders. There's a lawyer, I think, or a scribe that comes to Jesus and asks Jesus about the greatest commandment. What's the greatest commandments? Of all the 600 commands in the Old Testament, Jesus, which is the most important? Jesus responds with this. The first one is this, that you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, and with all of your what? Strength. That is speaking to a physical property. It's not just your heart. It's not just your mind. But it's something that burns calories. Are you hearing me? With all of your strength. That's the first and greatest commandment. The second one, he says, is just like it. He says, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And there are no other commandments greater than these. I would argue that when we embody worship together, when we come together to worship, God is forming us to love one another better. I would say even that you can't even do number two well if you don't do number one first. And by loving God through worship, through singing, through coming together, embodied worship, we can then feel empathy, a closeness, and a connectedness to other people, and we can move on to number two. So, let me pause. So I've said, I said almost everything that I've wanted to say. I'm just waiting to see if the Lord wants to say anything else. Back to David Destino. His book, How God Works, The Science Behind the Benefits of Religion. It's a profound read. He's not even a believer. And he looks into this and he sees that there are real benefits for those people who actively engage and participate in the spiritual practices of their faith. The abundant life stands before us in Christ Jesus and we can participate in a longer, healthier, happier lives. This is empirically proven and we can do so by worshiping together. Um, I mentioned earlier the Lectio Divina. Uh, Lectio, I think, am I saying that right? Yeah, Lectio Divina. It's Latin for divine reading. It's just a way, uh, sort of an ancient way of, of doing uh, Bible devotions. And it just means this, that each day you'll pick a passage in scripture and you'll read it, right? 12, Romans 12, one and two, right? We talk about offering our, our bodies as a living sacrifice to God. We just read that passage. And then the next thing it tells you just to, to reflect on that. This, there's four steps to the Lectio Divina. And this, I'm just trying to teach them to you. You don't have to remember this, but I think this will be helpful. As you read the passage, then you reflect on it, and then there's an invitation to respond to it. So devote yourselves to the Lord by his mercies, you know, all the things. Give yourself a living sacrifice. Use your body to sacrifice praise to him. All right, so this is the verse. We, we, we consider it. We meditate on it. 
And then the invitation is to respond to it. And in a few moments, the band is gonna come back out. You, you have four minutes to respond. Like I'm giving you four minutes to respond. If, if, you, if you didn't stand during the first set, stand up this time, give God your standing if you can. If you didn't clap the first time, give, you're like, Jeff, you're driving me insane right now. I know, I know. Clap for him. Raise your hands to him. So we read, we consider, meditate or whatever, we respond and then we rest. And we rest in the work that God has done. Does it sound okay? Kids, are you awake? <laughs> They're like, he's boring, dad. He's boring, I agree. All right. I'm done. I still have two and a half minutes. So um, let's just close early, shall we? Let's pray together. Lord, thank you for our time. Again, you are so good to us. We're so undeserving. And yet your great love and your care for us. We see it expressed in Jesus, his life, his death, his burial, his resurrection. We see all of your love on display for us. Every week we get together. We thank you, God, for your son, Jesus for his sacrifice, that the love was so great for us, the Bible tells us that you gave your only son, embodied, that he came, took on flesh, right? Used that body to worship you and then used that body to sacrifice himself. Because of that, we have faith, Lord. Because of that faith, rather, we have the newness of life, a new creation we've become is what Paul says. No longer are we driven by the desires of sin and darkness, but we have moved into the place of light and life. So we thank you for that, Lord. God, as we go back and we sing about the, the steadiness of who you are, God, that you are an unchanging God in times of turmoil and trouble. You are an anchor to us. You are a pylon driven into the ground of our lives. As we sing about that, Lord, help us Help us to give ourselves to you, a living sacrifice. Help us to raise our hands to you just as an act of submission and surrender. Lord, we're not looking around to see who's doing it and who's not doing it. We have but an audience of one. It is you, Lord. We come before you. And Lord, by the way that you've created us, when we sow, when we do this worship together, you knit us together in our minds, you knit us together. You form us to be the people. When Paul writes of renewing the mind, this is part of the process. This is what you do, God. And so when the world beats a different drum, when the world has a, diff a different rhythm that leads people astray, your rhythm, the rhythm of praise and of worship, it renews us so that we're not drawn away into darkness, Lord. Father, we want our lives to be, to, to experience the newness that you have for us. God, we need our minds to be renewed. And so I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would give us the strength to move forward. Pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for joining with us today. 
We would love to pray for you and make a connection with you. So please check out the Church at Home page at rendicator.org. Here you can ask questions, request prayer, find past messages and podcasts, or support Renaissance through online giving. We can't wait to hear from you. 